Uh, man, it's been so great to worship God in so many ways already, and now we get to uh, come around His Word uh, and worship Him uh, through seeing His truth. And so, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I would love for you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible with you and you want to grab the one that's in the rack right in front of you, if you just turn to page 61 uh, in that Bible, that's where you will find our passage this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, we want you to know uh, that we believe the Bible is God's Word. Uh, we believe that it's the inspired Word of God. We believe it's inerrant in the original manuscripts and sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that we can know the one true God. We can worship Him. We can follow Him with our lives. And we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture that what I'm about to say today really doesn't matter unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And just so you know, if you come to the conclusion that the Bible is the word of God, that has significant ramifications for the rest of your life. It it changes everything. So I don't just want you to take my word for it, but I want you to know where we stand. This is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in the book of Exodus as we continue our series through the Ten Commandments. Uh, And it's been amazing to see how relevant uh, this series is and this list of instructions, how it addresses so many uh, 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 just everyday issues in our own lives. And and our desire for this series has been that God's commands would reveal his character and that our salvation would then result in our submission. And and so we're keeping at the forefront of our minds in the series that we're not under the law. If we are in Christ, we are under grace. And that is the best news ever because the revealed law of God was not intended to be what justifies us. It was never intended to be what we point to and say, look how amazing I am. I've kept this and I've kept this. and I've kept... That's, that's not the purpose of the law. It's not supposed to make us feel better about ourselves. It was intended to reveal our need for someone else to be righteous in our place. And, and as we come to the eighth commandment. Uh, This is another moral law of God that humanity agrees with as a general principle. Do not steal. Anybody hear someone arguing with that on a regular basis? Like, everyone agrees with this, right? Don't steal. Yeah, that that, that seems right. Uh, I, I was talking with someone this week uh, who doesn't even believe in God, and, and, and they like to poke fun at the parts of Christianity that they find difficult to believe, and maybe you have a friend like that in your life as well. And, and, and I, I'm always looking for points of agreement with them, and so I said, hey, I bet you would agree with my message this week, <laughs> because my message is do not steal. And their response was, oh yeah, stealing's bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Uh, and, and I'm like, great. And I asked this question, Why? But why is it wrong to steal? And their immediate answer was karma. (laughs) Karma. And I'm like, okay. Um, I'm hoping by the end of this message, you'll have a better answer than that. Uh, maybe Maybe you already do. 
Um, there's, I, I want us to see the reasons behind this command. I'm assuming we agree with it, even though many of us have broken in our lives. Uh, let's see why God has this command for us in his word. We're going back up to Mount Sinai, uh, where God's power and authority is just on full display. We've we got to keep that image in our minds as we go through this series. This is not a weak God who is just making a few suggestions for us to consider. This is the God who is in charge. And we're going to start right at the beginning, Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 and get a running start into our passage this morning. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Salvation precedes law, not the other way around. God saves them first and then he shares with them how to live. So if you don't believe verse 2, if you don't believe that the Lord is your God, then the rest of this passage doesn't really matter. Uh, because you'll listen to whatever the authority in your life is. But if you believe that the Lord is your God, then how he says to live very much should matter to you. So verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your house. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That's the first section of the Ten Commandments. It deals with our vertical relationship with God. How, how do we worship the one true God? And then the second set of commandments that we're in now, the last six, deal with our horizontal relationships with other people. So honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. We talked about last week. You shall not commit adultery. Freedom isn't found in doing whatever we want. Freedom is found in faithfulness. And then verse 15, you shall not steal. Have you noticed that most of the Ten Commandments are stated negatively? Have you, have you seen that? It's a lot of you shall nots in the Ten Commandments. Other than remember the Sabbath and honor your father and mother, the other eight commands are telling us what we should not do, telling the Israelites what they should not do. And, and I, I think a lot of people have the impression of Christianity um, that being a Christian is about, all about what you don't do. Um, but if you have that impression, I just want you to remember that Jesus didn't summarize the law by giving negative commands. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you love your neighbor, there are certain things you won't do to them like you won't steal from them. So, so these commands are not just 
calling us away from something. I want you to see they're also calling us to something. We're going to talk about that today. And and at least part of the reason I believe that these commands are stated negatively, though, is, is that God had just rescued the Hebrew people after 400 years in this pagan culture of Egypt where they were subject to an evil dictator, that's Pharaoh, and, and it's safe to assume that within that culture, uh, they had picked up some bad habits along the way, right? It is hard to live in that type of culture and, not, uh, and come away unscathed. And, and, so, and so then God rescues this new group of people, right? He's creating a nation out of this group of people, and, and these commands almost serve a similar purpose to the rules that we give our children, Right? Because think about the rules that you have for young children uh, as they're growing up. What do you tell them? You tell them, don't touch the stove, right? And don't run in the street. And very simple do's and don'ts that you give young children. And I believe that these commands are written almost with the immature in mind for the purpose of establishing spiritual and physical and relational safety for this new nation of people that God is creating. And so within that, how do we love our neighbor? One way is you do not steal from them. You do not steal. And, and, and there's lots of ways to break the eighth commandment. Um, you could probably create quite a list on your own today. Burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, identity theft, embezzling, extorting, so many more. Um, All forms of stealing are forbidden uh, by this command. I told Pastor John this week that this would be a really bad sermon for me to plagiarize. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that, okay? This is not somebody else's, I promise, okay? (laughs) Because that would be breaking the command I'm supposed to talk about today. And and, and the first command, uh, or the first question that we want to ask is, what, what is this command supposed to teach us about God. What kind of God would forbid stealing as part of his moral law? And the answer that we find in the Bible is that we have a God who is both rich and generous. God is rich and he is generous. I always find it interesting when people try to frame God as needy or insecure. And this happens a lot, actually. But if you ever hear someone making that argument, that God is needy or insecure, just know that they aren't making an accurate argument from the Bible. Because God doesn't need us. We, we realize that, right? God does not need you. And he does not need me. He doesn't need our attention. We don't praise him because he is temperamental due to some type of insecurity that he has. No, the message of the Bible is that God is the only one who isn't needy. The message of the Bible is that he's the only one who isn't insecure in and of himself. In the beginning, there was God and that was it. There was God and no one else. So we believe in the eternal triune God who is the source of all of life. We believe in a God who is so powerful that he spoke the world into existence. God said it and then it happened. And I just find it very hard to argue that God is needy or lacking anything when all he would have to do is speak. All he would have to do is speak. And it would be done. This is why, by the way, the disciples were terrified when Jesus spoke and calmed the storm. 
Right? They're like, what kind of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Because only the word of God is supposed to have that kind of power. And so because God is the creator of everything that we see, it is logical to conclude that everything belongs to him. Everything that I have, everything that I have, it doesn't really belong to me. It belongs to God. He owns it all. And so if God were rich and stingy, all of humanity would be in trouble. We would all be eternally lacking. But God is not a rich businessman who gained his wealth by taking advantage of the poor. And he doesn't hoard it all to himself and cheat on his taxes to keep even more. He is rich and he is so, so generous. How many of you know that about our God? He is rich and he is generous. In Deuteronomy, when Moses is restating the law for Israel before entering the promised land, he reminds Israel of this reality. This is Deuteronomy 10, 14 and 15 on the screen. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. God owns it all, right? It all belongs to him. Yet, The Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. God owns everything, yet he loves his people. He chose to bless Israel and to have the line of Abraham be the means through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed with the coming of our Savior, Jesus. What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Our God is rich, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. So this command is, is very simple on the surface. I think we could agree. Don't take what belongs to someone else. Do not steal. We got it. This world would be a much better place if people didn't take what doesn't belong to them. I think we agree with that. Um, The Fox Brothers would have to have a different business, um, but but their job is very safe um, uh, because this is not the way the world is. Uh, So it's very simple on the surface. Do not steal. But there's also a depth to this command because as Dr. Tamfu says, at the heart of this command to not steal is the positive instruction that you shall imitate God. You shall imitate God. God doesn't steal. Be like him. He gives and he gives and he gives. So God is not calling us to do as he says, but not as he does. He is calling his people to be like him. Now, what's the problem? We're not. We're not like him at all. Why is a command that everyone agrees with Right? Everyone is very offended when this command is broken at their own expense. Like when someone steals from us, that gets us very deeply, doesn't it? Like that really messes with us. Right? Why, if we all agree with this, is this command still constantly broken? Why do we need security systems and safes and elaborate passwords that we can never remember? Right? Why, why does every check, self-checkout system have a camera overhead? watching your every little move at Walmart. Why? God said, don't steal. Don't do it. Why, why, why is that not enough? Because humanity, in our brokenness, we, we are not naturally generous. We are naturally takers. None of you had to teach your children to take toys. You had to teach them to share their toys, 
right? None of you had to teach them to, 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 to take them. Like ripping it out of someone else's hands, that just came naturally to your child. At least it did to mine. You guys can look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine, right? But at least for my children, that was like pre-downloaded hardware. Just came with the child. Um, just rip it out of their hands, right? And we're naturally takers. And it all started in the garden with Adam and Eve taking a fruit that was not for them to take. And people have been taking things ever since. And no one disagrees with this rule, but I've also never met someone that claims that they have followed it perfectly. Because we are, in and of ourselves, takers broken by the fall. And we'll, and we'll justify it by limiting it to the amounts that we don't think are a big deal. Um, I remember a while ago going to a fast food restaurant with a couple of students, and I should clarify before I tell the story, this was a long time ago, and it was none of your kids. So... You can, you can just relax and enjoy the story, okay? So we're at this fast food place, and as part of their order, these students asked for a cup for water. And then they went over to the soda fountain, and they did not put water in their cups, right? And so we sit down, and I question their actions. And, I, I, and I'll never forget their nonchalant response. When I asked them why they asked for water but instead took soda, they said, it's a great deal, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a great deal because it's stealing. It's stealing. It's only free because you're stealing it, right? We're just naturally takers, and if it's just a soda, it's not a big deal. Like, that's our, our heart condition, right? So I'm guessing that we don't have any bank robbers here today, although if you're here, so glad you are, right? I'm, I'm, I really are. I'm really, really excited about that, right? If I, I don't think any of you hijacked a car in order to come to church, although that would be a wild story to tell on your baptism Sunday. That'd be great, right? Um, right? We, we probably, so while we might not have done those things, we probably couldn't claim to be completely righteous as it pertains to this command. And if you think that you are, uh, stick with me. You might change your mind. But the reason that this matters so much is because this is a matter of faith. In fact, the instruction, the new, way, the new way to live that this command is calling us to is to trust God's provision. This is why we don't steal, because we trust God to provide. This is what God was teaching the Israelites as he led them through the wilderness, that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. He provides deliverance from Egypt, manna from heaven, water from the rock, land that he had promised, protection and victory over enemies. This is the message he just is constantly giving his people. You can trust me because I will provide. I am rich and I am generous. And when we don't trust his provision... When we fear that we will be left lacking, we try to take it for ourselves. This is why when you catch your young child taking something without permission, a relatively common occurrence in the Pine household, I'm not sure about yours, here's a question I will often ask in that moment. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? And the answer is because I knew if I asked that you would say no. To which I respond, but do you trust that if I say no, it's because it's what's best for you? To which they say no, right? They don't. They, they think they know what is best for them. That's why they're taking it. 
And I wonder how often God could have the same conversation with you and me, even as adults. Why don't you trust me? Because it feels like you keep saying no, right? And maybe some of you have gotten a lot of no's lately. That's what it feels like. You don't know why he keeps saying no. You, God says he's rich. He says he's generous, but it doesn't feel like he's been generous to you. So the question is, do we trust that God only says no because it's best for us? Not really. We don't, not all the time, because we think we know what is best for us, even though God has proven time and again that we might not get everything we want, but we will have everything he knows that we need. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a matter of faith. This is a matter of trust. When we live in light of the reality that everything that we have comes from the gracious provision of God, the conversation around stealing should completely change. Here is your better reason why it is wrong to steal. It's not just about karma. This is why. Because when we take what doesn't belong to us, this is adapted from Philip Ryken, one, we are denying that God will provide what we need. And we are taking what God has provided for someone else. We are denying that God will provide us with what we need, and we are taking what God has provided for someone else because everything comes from him. So stealing is first a theological problem before it is a material problem. It is evidence of how little we trust God to keep his promises. When we believe that we are lacking and therefore need to take matters into our own hands, it reveals that our view of God is actually what is lacking. We don't trust him to be who he has promised to be or to do what he has promised to do. And it's really hard to trust him and to trust his provision when we're constantly looking at what we don't have. Right? And we have marketing teams and salesmen that are total, whose total job is to get you to look at all the things that you don't have and to think that you need them right now. And if we are going to trust the provision of God, we must instead look to God's word to be reminded of everything that God has already graciously given us. Because when you go to God's word and you start looking for examples of God's provision, and you look for promises of God's provision, you start seeing them everywhere. Let me just show you a couple on the screen here to get your mind thinking. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do we believe that? That we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just a few verses later, verses 7 and 8. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God is not stingy with his grace. It has been lavished upon us. This is Philippians 4, 19 through 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is the message of the Bible. Our God is rich, and he has richly blessed us with so many physical and material blessings, but even more than that, we enjoy nearly unfathomable spiritual blessings because of Jesus. And then Satan comes to steal. 
He comes to steal your joy. He comes to steal your gratitude. He comes to steal your thankfulness. He lies to you and tells you that God is stingy and he's keeping things from you and that you deserve more and that you deserve better. You see this play out with the Israelites, right? Rather than being thankful for God's deliverance, as soon as they started to doubt God's provision in the wilderness, they were complaining that they left Egypt, right? And I know that being hungry and thirsty can make you not think clearly, but you want to go back to Egypt? (laughs) Come on! So our rich and generous God has told us not to steal, even though we are naturally takers at heart. He was revealing himself to the Israelites. He's revealed himself to us through his word to teach us that we can trust his provision because he is the source of everything that we need, and he is not stingy. And the new covenant promise that this command is pointing us towards, that that God was going to create a generous people. The promise of the new covenant is the, problem, is the promise of a generous people. This is not a command that was intended to be outside of us to restrict our behavior. This is a law that God wanted to write on our hearts that have been transformed by the generosity of Jesus. The heart of this command was intended to become instinctual to us thanks to the transformation of the gospel. Because even though the law was good, do not steal is a good rule. Everyone agrees, and then everyone breaks it to some extent. It's amazing. We agree with the law, and then we break the law. Human history is a story of constant theft, because an external law could never change our internal sinful condition. And the problem is even worse than we think, because we have not only stolen from other people, We have all stolen from God because we were created to give him the glory that belongs to him. That's why we exist. I exist to reveal how glorious God is. That's why we are made in his image. And every time we sin against him, instead of trusting him, we are stealing glory from God. We are saying that he doesn't know what is best, We are implying that he shouldn't be trusted and followed. We live for our own glorification rather than for his. We are all glory stealers. This is why the world is so broken. The problem isn't the law. The problem is with us. So God entered into the brokenness of this world in the person of Jesus. And think about this. Jesus came to the people who had stolen from him to give them more. He came to people who had stolen from him to give them more, to to give us what we really needed, not what we thought we needed. Think about how generous our God is as you think about Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that we failed to live, and then Jesus gave his life for us. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He was crucified between two thieves that day. Essentially, Jesus was treated as a robber when, in fact, the one who owned it all was giving all of himself because it was the only way that we could be given forgiveness. 
Jesus paid the sin debt we owed in full, and the price he paid was with his own blood. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. So if you come to the end of yourself and realize that you can never be good enough, you can never keep God's law on your own, we can't beg, borrow, and steal our way to heaven. And if you place your faith instead in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Christ and Christ alone— All your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus credited to your formerly guilty account. You become part of the eternal kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit indwells and fills your life to transform your heart from being a taker to a giver. Because we know that Jesus has given us everything we need according to his riches in glory. We have been provided with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so we read this earlier, but look at the heart transformation the gospel should cause in us. This is Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So God's provided us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and he tells us to work hard for the Lord and not for men, so we do honest work, not so we can hoard everything to ourselves, but so we can be generous, so we can be like God, so we can be generous to people. This is one of the defining characteristics of the early church. You read through the book of Acts and what you will see is the transformation of their hearts led to a radical generosity. God's people are not called to be takers. We are called to be givers. And I, I just have to say, I'm constantly encouraged by the generosity of so many of you here. Uh, so many of you, without wanting the recognition or the praise. In fact, you would prefer if people didn't know all the things that you have given, right? But you give and you give and you give of your time, of your talent, of your treasure because you trust the provision of God and your heart has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus so you are now free to live with open hands instead of closed fists. That's what the gospel does. It sets us free. We have everything that we need, right? And so we can live with open hands instead of closed fists. We don't give to put God in our debt because it already belongs to him. And, and so I just, want you to, I just want you to think about this last couple of verses from Romans chapter 11. I want to leave you with this truth. This is Romans eleven thirty four through 36. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Right? That's ridiculous to think that we could ever put God in our debt. Why? For from him and through him and for him are all things. It all comes from him and it all goes back to him. Do you believe that? This is, this is the heart of generosity. This is why we live with open hands, not closed fists. This is why we are givers and not takers. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Humanity's worst theft is not stealing money from a bank or food from a store. Humanity's worst theft is stealing glory from God. But Jesus gave his life so glory stealers can become glory givers. That's the gospel. That's who we are. If our hearts have been changed by Jesus, we are no longer glory stealers. We are glory givers. So we have to ask ourselves, do we trust God's provision? 
If he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Has your heart been transformed from being a taker to a giver, knowing that it all belongs to him already? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing about the everlasting love of God. God, thank you for your generosity to us. That you came to glory stealers to give us even more. To give us what we really needed. Life found in Jesus. We're so thankful that Reuben has gone public with his faith. That his heart has been transformed by the truth of the gospel. And I pray for someone else here today that needs to experience that transformation for the very first time. So I pray if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they've never experienced that heart transformation that can only come from you, I pray that today would be the day that they place their faith in Jesus. And if there's someone that's done that, but they've been living timid and they've never gone public with their faith through baptism, I pray that they would make the decision to just publicly declare, I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm not going to turn back. So thank you for what you've done. And I pray that we would live with hearts of generosity, knowing that you have given us so much more than we deserve. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.